Once you get to chapter 8, you'll notice that the word spouse is repeated over and over. It's found in verse 8, verse 10, and here again in verse 12. And you will see that this is now Solomon rejoicing in his bride. But what an analogy to liken his bride to a garden enclosed. Now, we have many beautiful gardens in this part of the world. Indeed, here on the coast in British Columbia, uh, we take great pride in the uh, beauty of gardens. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. It's a joy to bring you the message of the gospel, and I trust that there will be a song in your heart as you hear the Lord's Word today. We're returning to Song of Solomon, and it's wonderful how that song, it's something that's meant to be sung, meant to be rejoiced in. The Lord giveth a new song. He delivers us from the boredom and the misery of this old world, and he gives us something to sing about. The, no, the knowledge that we have God, we have Christ, we have salvation, we have eternal life. And as we turn to our program here today, we trust the Lord will give you the song of God's so great salvation. Just a few thoughts here to commence with in the book of Romans. And uh, here's a question, verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. What is meant by Paul's statement, restest in the law. Well, the problem with the Jews, they were resting in the law for salvation. They thought that the Ten Commandments and every other commandment of God uh, was a means of attaining heaven by works. And of course, the whole book of Romans is anti-works, and it is pro-grace that God saves by mercy, not by merit. And if you think today that you can get to heaven by good works, if you think that you can get to heaven by resting in the law or your ability to keep certain commandments of God, well, you're wrong. You'll never get to heaven by trusting in your own working, your own performance. Salvation is God's amazing gift, and it's all of grace. It is all of mercy. That leads us to the next point here. What is Paul's argument in verses 17 to 24? Well, we'd <coughs> excuse me, have to read the whole thing. Now, here's the questions that Paul comes up with. Teachest thou not thyself? Dost thou steal? Dost thou commit adultery? Dost thou commit sacrilege? Dishonorest thou God? Well, the Jew made many, many claims of being elitist, superior, and indeed of achieving a high standard of piety. And yet, they were guilty of the very basic crimes against the Ten Commandments. And while they boasted that they were resting in the law, they were lawbreakers just like everyone else. And now it is true of all who boast that they are good, yet when you examine their lives, you'll often find the very people who call themselves good are rotten to the core. And they have uh, no discipline. They have no victory in their lives. They are living uh, in, in, in a prejudiced state, thinking that they are 
better than others. All of this condemns men, but the gospel is the proper way of salvation. And when you see yourself as a sinner, having broken the law, you do not rest in the law anymore, but you come to the cross and you plead for mercy, pleading the cleansing of Jesus' blood, washing in that victory of Calvary, that you may be saved from sin. Now I'll end there and we'll move to our song, Jesus is my dearest friend, Alan McGill singing. Oh, the seasons come and go, summer sun and winter snow. Though the passing years to earth their changes lend, there is one whose love so free for all time will changeless be. Jesus always is the same, true friend. Jesus is my dearest friend every day. Jesus is my dearest friend, come what may. Tongue or pen could never tell how much he loves me. Jesus is my true and dearest friend. Time's swift current onward glides. There is nothing which abides. Through the fleeting years all things must surely end. Friends may fail or faithless be, but there's one who cares for me. Jesus always is the same true friend. Jesus is my dearest friend every day. Jesus is my dearest friend, come what may. Tongue or pen could never tell how much he loves me. Jesus is my true and dearest friend. Then while time speeds on its way, let us live from day to day to be those on whom the Master can depend. For though nothing shall endure of this truth, my heart is sure. But there's one thing before I leave this inner supply point. There's one thing I want to point out, and that is we've got to pray for it. We've got to pray for it. You go back to Philippians 1. And 19, it talks about through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What was Paul asking Christians to pray for for him? Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. That they would pray for that very thing. Now, let me ask you, Christian. I'm going to ask you point blank here. Are you praying every day for a fresh supply of the Spirit in your life?
the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who indwells every born-again Christian. Now, he's promised never to leave us, but there is a flow of grace. There is an empowering of the Holy Ghost in our souls that enables us to live the Christian life. And we should be praying for that individually, and we should be praying for it as a church. Pray for me. How can I endure? How can I persevere? How can this ministry go on? I need your prayers. This church needs your prayers. We need each other's prayers. And in the prayer meetings of the church, let's take this to heart, praying for that inner supply of the Spirit of God to minister to the church. Now, I've got to move on to the incense now, and that's verse 13 in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 13, the incense of the church. Now, you'll notice the nature of this garden, uh, it's not potatoes. You know, it's not the Irishman planting his garden here growing potatoes, and it's not so much about food production, it's about scent. It's about a beautiful garden giving off that aroma that is most pleasing. It reminds me of a day when I was going around homes in Langley area, not far off 56th Avenue, down that direction, and I came across a home. And these are the things you only experience when you're walking, when you're driving by in a car, uh, windows up, uh, and the air conditioner on on a hot summer day, you never get this. But when you're walking around, going home to home, you get this. And it was a small little home, just a little square, uh, like a World War II built home, uh, white uh, stucco on the outside, little square box home. And it wasn't a gigantic garden. It was just all around it. The, the, the house was located right in the center, and everywhere around was a, was a garden. But as I approached that home, the, 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 the scent was just, well, it was almost overwhelming. It was the strongest scent of flowers I've ever, ever experienced. It was one of those hot, humid, sultry days, and the gardener's work had paid off. And the flowers in that garden were amazing for the scent they were given off on that day. Now, as I read Song of Solomon 4.13, you'll see the kind of flowers and, and plants that he was uh, using here. The plants, thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphire with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. Now, some commentators said that there were seven, but I couldn't get that count, so I'm not going to preach that. Uh, I'm not sure how you would uh, categorize some of these. I probably don't know nearly enough about plants and flowers to even try that. But Solomon did. Indeed, we're told in 1 Kings 4 about Solomon's excellent wisdom and how that he wrote over 3,000 proverbs. And it says in 1 Kings 4 that he spake 3,000 proverbs, his songs were 1,005, and he spake of trees 
from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And here's the wisest man, the wisest of men, who, who knew botany, the study of plant life, and he knew trees, and he's got this garden in mind, and, and I'm not sure if it's his own personal garden, but he's got this garden in mind, and he's got this picture in his mind of the, the aroma and the beauty of this garden. And Solomon, he knew these things. He was detailed in his writing of these things. But it was all about the scent. It was all about the odor and the smell. Now, as a picture of the church, the Lord is interested in the perfume, the attitudes, the graces of your heart and of your life, starting with our worship. As the Lord witnesses and bears witness of our worship, of our songs, our thoughts, our desires and worship, the Lord receives them as the very scent, the very aroma in his nostrils as a sacrifice of grace unto the Lord. Now, someone pointed out that many of these uh, trees and plants, and therefore the scent that they produced, that they were used in sacrificial worship uh, in the tabernacle, the frankincense, and, and so on. And so, we see the link up here to worship. Now, think about this. Think about this. The Lord plants the church. He puts you as a Christian in that corner, and he puts another Christian in this corner, and he plants everyone in their location. He waters, and he waters by his Spirit, and he's looking for grace, love, joy, peace, satisfaction, delight, flowing out of your heart. Not the grumbling, carnal, <coughs> selfish attitudes, but no, this delight, this desire to please. I take that as the real significance here, the desire to please the Lord. And when we come to church, when we come through the doors of God's church, it's not for what, what we will receive to please us, but it's how we may please the Lord and glorify Him in our thoughts. Our worship, our Christ-likeness, our love, our devotion, our prayers, and our sacrifices. They're all a sweet savor unto the Lord. And so, the church is where worship is carried out. Now, something about this garden, there are no weeds. This is no mention of the weeds. Could that be? Could it be that there's a garden on earth where there are no weeds? Nothing that's noxious and uh, disgusting, ugly? Well, that would be perfection, wouldn't it? And that would be heaven. Every gardener has to deal with weeds, and every church has to deal with weeds. I remember Dr. McClelland writing a, a, an article in what was the Canadian revivalist, and he talked about getting out the weed killer. 
And every Christian, every church needs the weed killer. And we make sure that we don't have those things that displease the Lord. And so the prayer of the Christian is, Lord, take my heart. I give it. I give my heart to you. And I want you to make my heart holy. I want my worship to be pleasing. I want my thoughts to be godly. And I want my attitudes to bring glory to your wonderful name. That's the incense of the church reflected here in the garden. We come now to the inspiration, and we move to verse 16. And the word here, awake. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south wind. No reference to the east and west. Uh, here in Canada, if you get an east wind, it's usually cold weather. And from the west, well, it's usually more rain or fog or that. But there's no mention of east and west here, just north and south. The south wind we can understand, of course, that's the warm wind. And every garden needs the warm wind. And you've got the sunshine and you've got the warm wind. But the, the north wind, the wind that comes from the north, that's the cold well, if we understand plant life, you need hot and cold. There's the hardening of the plant. There's the maturing of the plant by cold wind. The one thing that you don't want is the garden always in the doldrums, when there's no air, no fresh breeze, and there's a deadness. And that's when disease and so on gets in. Every gardener knows you, you, you put plants that there's air around them so they don't get uh, various diseases. And here is this, this cry for inspiration. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden. Now, again, this is the Spirit of God awakening and stirring the heart of God's people. Do you feel sleepy as a Christian sometimes? You know, physically, we get sleepy. We all need sleep. But spiritually, we can get sleepy. We get, eh, so what? We get careless. And we don't really produce much over a period of time. It's the same old, same old, day after day. And the energy and the thrill and the joy of the Christian life can depart. Well, God may send the north wind, the troubles of life to drive us to our knees. And then he may send the south winds to warm us with fresh vigor and joy. And that's how the, the garden grows. And that's how the Christian grows. That's how the church of the Lord Jesus advances, by the awakening of the Spirit of God. Now, in the history of the church, there have been a number of awakenings. And that really is a more accurate word than revival. In North America, the word revival may mean a week of meetings when an evangelist comes along and he preaches and he goes home again. That sometimes is called a revival. But the real accurate term is an awakening, when a whole community is awakened to their need of God and need of grace and need of the gospel. And, of course, that's the awakening that is mentioned of right here. Apathy can be our number one enemy as Christians. And just getting to your Bible and opening the Bible 
and reading it with a clear mind, delighting in that Word, and resting in its promises, going on with God through them, well, that's all that this is about. And I think that's what this communion table is about as well, just to remember. Remember Calvary. Remember the cross. We could go on weeks and weeks and weeks, and we could preach all kinds of series of, of messages and sermons, but the Lord wants us to remember Calvary. And there's one thing that will stir the heart of the Christian, and that is to hear that Jesus loved us and went to the cross to lay down his life, to give his blood, suffering as our substitute, the Lamb of God in our place. That is what thrills the heart of the born-again Christian. That's like the south wind blowing. It warms our hearts. We can lose the first love, and we need to come back to Calvary again and again. Let this table be an inspiration to us today. Let it inspire us to love and serve our Lord more and more. Then we have the invitation at the end of verse 16, let my beloved come into his garden. Here is, uh, this now is the spouse inviting Solomon. The speaker changes here in verse 16, and Solomon is invited into his garden. And of course, the church is the Lord's. He bought her. He has created her for his own glory. And there can be no question on this point that the church is for the Lord, just as this garden is created for the uh, gardener. And no other admirer is invited, just Solomon. There can be no question on this point that the one that we invite today is the Lord. He's the one we love. He's the one we worship. Solomon was called the beloved of the bride. You'll notice how the wording is here, Awake, O north wind, thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come. And here now is the church speaking of the Lord, my beloved. As we take that symbol of the cup and bread today, what are we saying to the Lord? What are we expressing by faith that Jesus is the one we love? We bless him for his death, his blood, his sacrifice, and we rejoice in him. Now, Solomon was come to enjoy the fruits of the garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Now, I said that there were no potatoes, but there obviously were fruits here that could be enjoyed, and they could be a, a, a great benefit and blessing. As the Lord comes into our midst here today, and we invite him into our midst, what is there in our worship that will be fruit to the Lord. After all, he's looking for fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bring forth much fruit. What fruit is there in us that is bringing honor, pleasure, and glory to the Lord? This is a sense of reality here. 
This is more than just a love song. It's more than just poetry. It's more than just words. There's reality here. And to the born-again Christian, there is reality in the gospel of Christ. And the grace that weds our soul to the Savior in the gospel opens our eyes and opens our appetites that we might enjoy the Lord. And so, here is the fruit. Now, we close, but we go to chapter 5, 1, and here's the response of Solomon. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. And here is a picture of the Lord coming into his church, feasting and enjoying all the fellowship and friendship of his own church. And there's an abundance, an abundance. Uh, that's the thing I noticed at the end of verse chapter 5, 1. Oh, friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, abundantly. And so as we come to the communion feast here today, let us eat and drink. There's no shortage, no end of supply. Whatever your need is today, whatever your confession is to God, He can meet that need. He can minister to your heart, and He can draw near to bless you abundantly. It has been a real joy to bring the Lord's Word to you today, but I just want to close with this short message. A Christian spent some time at Mount Robson in British Columbia, where he camped, climbed with fellow mountaineers of the Alpine Club of Canada. On a rainy day, a group of us were drinking tea in a tent, he said, when a discussion arose about religion. A young scientist turned to me with a patronizing air and said, but you don't really believe, do you, that Jesus is the Son of God? I replied, yes, I do. But how can you prove it, he said. How do you know it is true? I shall never forget what followed. I simply did what any other convinced man would have done. I looked him straight in the eye and said, how do I know that Jesus is the Son of God? I know it because I know him personally. For at least a half minute, our eyes locked. Then he turned away. The argument was over. When Christ is really our life, we know him with an immediacy of personal knowledge that is unmistakable. May the Lord continue to minister to your heart and give you that faith to rejoice in your Savior. Stay tuned now for these closing announcements. Welcome to our program today, and you are listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. I truly hope that you're blessed each time that you tune into our programs on this station, and my prayer is that God will use His Word to bring precious souls to personal faith in the gospel. We want this to be God's means to building His church and blessing His people. Our burden is to get the gospel out according to the Great Commission where the Lord has sent his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
So we don't get too political or too hung up on pressing trends, but seek to preach Christ in all his fullness for men in all their need. Our message is based on the great Reformation solo doctrines of salvation by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, based on the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. And you can understand that radio ministry is very much a ministry of faith as we air programs not knowing who is listening. We therefore need your feedback and comments. You can find us on Facebook at Let the Bible Speak Canada and there leave us a comment. You can go to our website, ltbs.ca and send us an email or probably best of all, go to our phone number 604-897-2040 and I will personally take your call. And of course, if you have pastoral needs, I will gladly talk and pray with you. So please get in touch and we need to know that you're listening and truly benefiting from this ministry on your station at this time. So please go to our church website, ltbs.ca, for all the information. And may the Lord bless you. Until the next time, we let the Bible speak.